Top of the day, everyone. Welcome back to Hot Garbage. I'm your host, Nisha, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Buddha badass. Oh, my gosh. So I just want to tell everybody before we get the show started that we do have some reviews, but I'm going to wait until next week to read the reviews. So your review. Yeah. So your reviews will be read. But right now I'm like a kid at Disneyland because I just want to hurry up and get to the show today because I'm so excited. You are excited. You are excited. Can I read some of these reviews? Can I read the stuff out that people are saying? Yeah. You can all the reading things. Okay. So next week you want to read the reviews? I can read some reviews. Okay. So next week Buddha will be reading the reviews instead of me reading the reviews. So that's going to be great. But today, oh my gosh. So remember last week when I told you guys, I don't know if we have a guest or we'll have a case. Remember I said that? You did say that. Well, we don't just have a guest. We have the guest today. Okay. Okay. So let me tell you about our guest. So Mm -hmm. fresh off death row, first of all, like he's only been off death row for like a couple of months, but this man has done more behind bars than most of us have done in our lives so we should all be ashamed of ourselves because he's an artist okay his painting is all over the country in paris everywhere god dang it yes right he's written four books wow now he's about to have a television show to help solve cold cases Mm -hmm. like there's so much this man is doing and he's the host this is how i met up with him he's the host of death row diaries remember matt ralston that came on this is the other half of the podcast oh wow oh my gosh that is amazing right there yes so basically you killed yourself buddha because you're not doing enough with your life yeah basically i got it (laughs) so let's everybody welcome to the show william noguera everybody call him bill Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. Hey, how you doing? I'm just sitting back, just blown away by the energy between the two of you. This is great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so <laughs> welcome, and thank you for coming on. Um, so we want to hear your story. I just wanted to tell the listeners. So Bill is calling from prison. So every like 15 minutes, his phone's going to cut off. So you'll hear him say he's going to call us back. So I just want to tell everybody about that. But because this is going to be a long one, because I have, I want to hear everything this man has to say. Uh, well, of course, of course. So this is the real life way you do this. Yes. So, um, Bill, if you don't mind, can you kind of like catch the listeners up? Because a lot of people haven't um, listened to Death Row Diaries. So can you tell them a little bit like about yourself, kind of about like, you know, a little bit about what landed you on Death Row. Now you're off Death Row. Tell us about your journey on Death Row and like kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I spent nearly 40 years on Death Row. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And, of course, you're going to get that from the Department of Corrections every few seconds. <laughs> got to love it. Yeah, so I, I was a, Yeah, right, you got to love it. But I was arrested in 1983. I was then convicted uh, and sentenced to death. And I spent, since 1983, all the way to really four months ago, on death row. At which point, my um, in 2017, my conviction, my sentence was overturned and thrown out, and I was ordered to be retried in 120 days or released. And unfortunately for me, the attorney general in California uh, appealed it, and he partially won, so they gave me life pending the rest of my appeal. So they took me off death. Basically, that is exactly what it is. It's a hole. You are not allowed to go anywhere. You're basically in your cell 23 hours of the day. Uh, you can't shave. You cannot have a, a fork. You. It really is like the quintessential, the hole, when you hear someone in prison that goes to the hole, that's where I was at pending my transfer to a new prison, and I was endorsed to come to Corcoran Prison, which is where I'm at now. It's a level two. It's basically freedom. Um, it's a fantastic program. The doors are always open. I don't have handcuffs around me. It's, it's a really different situation. But back to death row, I know that's what you guys are interested in. Yeah, I spent the better part of portion of my life, or double my life, on death row with some of the biggest serial killers, some of the most renowned uh, you know, gang members, as well as the heads of the mafia. And I was there with all of them, Richard Ramirez, 
William Bonning, Randy Kraft, the scorecard killer, uh, the freeway killer, the trailside killer, all those guys wow. were there with me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like... That this... is like the, the Fantasy Five team of the NBA right there. Right. Oh, my gosh. Tell, like, really quick. I'm sorry if you're off topic, but tell Buddha about your run-in with Charles Manson because I read your book and I heard this on the Death Row Diaries, but this is funny as hell, and Buddha needs to hear this. Well, yeah, I had just arrived at St. Quentin, and I was, you know, I have to admit it, I was a pretty aggressive guy. Uh, built like, you know, a guy who was built to, to fight. And I was on the yard, very intense situation, and all of a sudden, I see this little guy, and I, and I literally mean a little guy, like five foot three. He comes running up to me, and out of nowhere, he kind of like tries to shake my hand and say, brother, it's been a long time, and I just focus my laser beam eyes on him and just basically told them, get the fuck away from me, you freaking child-killing son of a bitch. And <laughs> I just walked towards him. And this guy tripped and fumbled backwards and he, you know, just went away like a little cockroach and he never came out again. And I didn't know it at the time, but he had just come from Susanville where other guys had thrown a hot oil on him and lit him on fire. Wow. Guys, you know, Charles Manser, he believes, this, you know, a killing machine. The guy was a scumbag and he, there was a, a contract on his head from the very get-go because he basically ordered the, kill, the killing of a child. So in the prison, if you've killed a child, whether it was on purpose or not, it doesn't matter, uh, you're done. Oh yeah, absolutely. See, how many of us can say we skirt Charles Manson? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Bruh, that's real though. <laughs> but he had to be responded the right way, is from what I'm hearing. Yeah. He didn't want to be associated yeah. with the child killer guy. Absolutely. Yeah, I've met some. I've met some characters in prison, and that's not to be mistaken with people of character, but they're characters in each. One of these guys, I always refer to him. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And I always talk about these guys as insects on Death Row Diaries, which is my podcast with Matt Ralston. And it, that's exactly what they are to me. They're different types of insects. And as I mentioned, William Bonning, the scorecard killer, the trailside killer, the night stalker, all these guys have a particular flavor to them. They're in any of their crimes, they have a tick to them, an impulse that they can't control, and that's why I refer to them as insects. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to, because I kind of touched bases on it a little bit, because I went on your podcast with Matt, the Death Row Diaries, and I kind of asked him this crazy-ass question. I was like, because you're always with, like, you know, the Death Row inmates, and obviously you were on Death Row, so what happens when it's that time for them to be executed, right? And I know you always talk about the yard and stuff. So let's say you go out to yard, y'all are talking. And do you have to be careful about what you say? Because you know that your friend's not going to be there no more on Friday. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I always wondered that. Like, what exactly is the process when you're out on the yard and your friend has an execution date set? Well, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. But as I mentioned in the book that I wrote, Escape Artist, Memoir of a Visionary Artist on Death Row, I go into detail about that. I, I didn't have any friends on the row, but I saw a number of guys, you know, that went in. Tookie Williams was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ray Allen, and all the guys that were executed, I knew who they were. And as I said in my book, I was intimate with their habits. That doesn't mean I was intimate with them, but their habits. I knew what they did, what they picked because I'm a student of human behavior. And you're right, when you go out to the yard and you know this guy's got an execution date, and you know he's gonna go through this process, and the process is to come to your cell like a week early, and they say, look, you've had uh, the court give you an execution date. They immediately tell you to back up to the bars, they cuff you, two escorting officers take you down to the sergeant's office and to the captain's office, and they read you the warrant of death. I had it read to me. I had a date for December the 16th, 1994, wow. and they came to me in that fashion, took me... You have 60 seconds remaining. And they read me the warrant of death. And then they told me, well, listen, we need you to sign this paper so you can pick what, what form of execution you want them to kill you with. And they said to me, don't take it personal. <laughs> My response was, I'm not signing anything, so don't take it personal. They got very upset at me. So that's basically the process. And then they take you upstairs and they put you within the call. 
guard is watching you 24 hours a day prior to your execution so you don't commit suicide. Let me call you back. It's going to cut off, and I'll be right back. Okay. okay. So, so the, I think the only thing that confused me is when so like when somebody has a date how like how often are they still able to go out to the yard or when do they stop their yard duties like if that makes sense yeah within a week of that execution let's let's say for example the the execution dates august the 25th by august 20th they've come to your cell they've read you the warrant then they take you upstairs to north Vegas. that's where the gas chamber or the execution room is it's been there since the 30s they take you there they put you is that an officer stands in front of yourself or sits in front of yourself 24 hours, seven days a week to make sure that you don't kill yourself. Now, now think of the irony of that. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to kill yourself because they want to have the, the they want to get off by killing you and executing you. Right. So wow. You can imagine. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane, but that's basically what comes. They don't want you to kill yourself because they want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's. And it leads to that to the day that you're executed. You get a priest, you get a spiritual leader, whatever comes see you, and then they smoke your ass. It's that simple. Damn. If you don't mind my asking, because uh, I know you had got a date set, and you know, obviously it got overturned. But did they get to the point of last meal? Like, did you pick a last meal? Like, what did you pick for your last meal? No, I didn't. I mean, I knew the system pretty well. I mean, it's it's. It's a heart-stopping situation when they're reading you a death warrant, but I knew that I was just done with the state level, and I'd be going into the federal federal system, mm-hmm. so I never got to that part. They basically just gave me a date, and I just said, okay, whatever, and I went and got myself another attorney, and immediately filed for a stay of execution, and it was done. Once it was filed, I was good. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. That's Your awesome. call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. So I know that, you know, so from death row, like now you're on life with no parole, but you're doing so many things like from behind bars. Can you tell us a little bit about like your art career and now this, you know, what you're working on, kind of like the mind hunter things? Because you got obviously you got an advantage because you got to study the serial killer. So you really did make lemonade out of your lemons that you were dealt because you, you know, you studied the serial killers and now you have a show coming out about it. So can you tell me a little bit about everything you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, look, you can make anything out of lemons, you know, lemonade, or you could just be a sourpuss the rest of your life. Like, I knew that I had a lot of potential. I didn't know the degree of potential I had, so I began with art, and that was to support myself, my family, through, uh, you know, really an art program that I really basically invented in prison. No one was selling work like I was, and eventually galleries got a hold of my work and well it's where I'm at right now which I'm represented globally by Elder Gallery of Contemporary Arts and if you want to see my work you can go to my website artistwilliamnoguera.com and you can see basically my work and what I've done over the years so after that you know it's, it's, I get bored very quickly as you probably will probably guess and from there I sat down and started writing I thought that what I experienced had value I thought that if I could possibly reach someone and maybe get them away from the road that they were leading and they would see the similarities of what I had done as a kid, that they would say, hey, I don't want to end up on death row, so I'm going to listen to what Bill said. And, and I thought that book would be something interesting, so I wrote Escape Artist, which you read. Mm-hmm. And from there, kind of I had a bug in me. I started, the whole time I've been studying prisoners, um, serial killers. Uh, behavioral differences, how to read a yard, how to read people, because my life depended on it. So by doing that, I kind of have a very unique viewpoint when it comes to people. And I always call myself the Jane Goodall of serial killers because I actually live with the most experts, read a bunch of books, may have read, uh, sent a letter to a serial killer, get a letter back, or maybe went to visit him mm-hmm. at a visitor. And, and that guy, you know, he's performing at an Oscar level. He's not going to show you who he is. So I believe that if I can get inside mm-hmm. their minds mm-hmm. to learn their habits, to learn what makes them tick, because my, the difference between me and most of these so-called experts is this. They believe the serial killers were made. My mm-hmm. argument is the serial killers were born this way. Mm-hmm. It's nothing different than when a child's born that can play a piano at three years of age, or he's a mathematician at four. No mm-hmm. one taught him that. He's wired 
differently. Serial mm-hmm. killers are wired similarly, except they're wired to kill. Yes, the abuse in their home tweaks the kind of symptom that they have, but they've always been geared to kill. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to you see a guy who's abused by a mother who wore red shoes and he kills women who wore red shoes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's part of the influence, but the pick to kill has always been there. So once I started learning a lot about them, I got a job in the yard as the ADA worker on death row, the first one in history, and what does the warden do? He puts me on a yard with a bunch of serial killers so I can study them. And that's when I sat down and began to write my book, Through the Lens of a Monster, which will come out this January, or uh, late January, early February, and where the television series that I have, I've been working on, I, I uh, with a number of different people, Fireside Pictures, as well as Dick Wolf, and it's being shopped around now uh, for the networks. And this is a big thing because it actually solves murders. The serial. Okay, so so you were saying so the book is the mind hunter of a serial killer, right? Yeah, the book is called Through the Lens of a Monster, and. Basically, I started writing it in 2013 when I met this particular insect, serial killer. And I knew that he had written the list of the murders he had committed, some of them. And I'm only, oh, that's a teaser, it's a cliffhanger right there, because during those 10 years, I fooled a real serial killer into believing that I was like-minded. And I used every tool that I had gained over the last basically 50 years to manipulate and fool this guy till he revealed a rest of his murders, a number of his murders. Ooh. And he gave me details about those murders. Such the, the details were so precise that when I joined forces with Ken Maines, and Ken and Maines and I have a YouTube channel which is called Unsolved No More Redemption from Death Row. I came to Ken because I knew he was the best in the business. Mm-hmm. And I told him what I had. He immediately wrote me back and said, let's do this. So I gave him the manuscript. He read it. And within 72 hours, he already solved the first murder. And that told him that I was legitimate. Then we joined forces and we signed uh, contracts to do a television series, which does exactly that. He will be hunting the this serial killer's unsolved cold cases with me on the phone and him going off of my manuscript and that's what television series is about. And we're right now pitching it to the networks. We have uh, Dick Wolf that does Law & Order, Chicago Fire, Chicago PD. He is the biggest guy in the business, is the executive producer. And we're doing this because, not for publicity, this is because of one thing. I heard a mother's cry. She, uh, the, the victims, one of the victims' mothers asked, and I remember this specifically, she said, someone, please tell me what happened to my child. That did it for me. When I heard that in 2013, that's what set me on that trail of that serial killer, and I used everything I had in my arsenal to get all the information so I could solve those cases. And when I was able to, I then had launched this new career of a mind hunter and mind hunting serial killers because no one knows serial killers like I do. I don't care who the person is, what FBI background they have, or what expertise they think they have. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. None of their experience can compare to what I've done. This isn't me bragging, this is a fact. Mm-hmm. No one has lived with them like I did for nearly 40 years, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's dope as hell because like you do have like an inside source and, and so is this gonna be like this killer is this gonna be like a killer that we all like know when when it comes out to where we're gonna be like oh, yeah. ooh oh, oh. Oh, yeah. you, you got her going now you oh, got her going he is he is yeah he is a well known serial killer and and that's just, that's the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. that's just the tip of the iceberg there are several other serial killers. And again, I, I can, I'm, under, I, I'm under a confidentiality clause. I cannot mm-hmm. mention the serial killer's name, the other ones. Okay. But I can tell you that I have information on five other serial killers as well as their 
cases or cold cases or unsolved cases, and I have information directly solves those cases, and we'll be doing those on the air and with books I'll be writing in the future. This okay. is so good. And I want to see, this is what I mean. Like you're doing more behind bars than I mean, cause some of these murders that's cold cases, they've been cold cases for like years. So this is something different that I haven't even heard of before. You know what I mean? Like you're breaking barriers. How does that make you feel, Bill? Well, look, I, I, I like doing what I do because I'm helping someone. Look, I understand very clearly the debt that I owe society. I mean, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that because at some point that 18-year-old boy I used to be is no longer here. The mm-hmm. man in his, in his shoes is a 60-year-old man that understands his responsibilities and takes responsibilities for his actions. So I'm trying to do a bit of good. I don't ever sit here and celebrate like, oh, great, I, I'm doing all this, me, me, me. Although it may seem like it, this is for the victims' families. This is for justice for we have 60 seconds remaining. To bring them finalization. That is my goal. And when I accomplish that goal, there's a bit of satisfaction that goes with it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, if I feel good about it, but I feel satisfaction that I was able to help somebody. Uh, let me call you back because obviously you need to call back and we can keep going. Okay. Uh, so you said you got the information of about five different serial killers. Did you find their information out the same way with infiltration that you did the first guy? Absolutely. It's once... Okay, so let me explain. On death row, serial killers are... They're basically victims. Because on death row, the regular population is trying to kill them. There is a convict code that says that if you find a child molester, a killer, a child killer, a rapist, a serial killer, you're supposed to kill them in need. That's part of the convict code. So all the serial killers are separated from normal people on death row. So when I was able to go to that yard, the ADA yard, as an ADA worker, it means the Inmate Disability Assistant Program Worker. That's who I was. So I basically was their care provider. I would push them around in wheelchairs and all this other kind of stuff to provide care for them. They saw me as kind of a top of the food chain. So I got very close to them and I began to speak to them in their terms. But they have, serial killers have cards Listen to this. They have like trading cards with their picture, and the back of the card has their kill count, their signature, and what they've done. And they trade these cards to their to their groupies. Wow. This is stuff that's exclusive that no one knows about. I've never heard about this talked about on any podcast or any television show. I have some of these serial killers' cards. What? It's been signed by them. Like a Michael uh, Jordan rookie card. Damn, like a Michael, you like, damn. That's what I'm saying. And they have, listen, they have their kill count. How many people they've killed. How many unsolved cases they have. So I have information that no one has even heard of before. As I said, just call me the Jane Goodall of serial killers. I I know what they do in their natural habitats. Look, I know that they're in their cells. Because they have to, they're able to participate in their defense. It's part of their constitutional right. They get all the evidence that was used against them. Oh, hello. That means that these guys get the, the photographs of the victims when they were killed, where they were at, the crime scene. Some of these fools have the pictures on their walls. They're reliving them. You've given them their own souvenirs. Damn, so they allow and that? I mean... Understand. I know that they can have it because that's their evidence, but they allow them to just put it on their walls or do they be told to take it down? They do. I mean, what are you going to do a guy has got, what are you going to kill him twice? Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Richard Ramirez, I want you to take down that photograph. <laughs> really? What are you going to do to me? Kill me twice? Right. That's I true. Mean, come on. Damn. What do you do to a guy that already got death row, right? Right. That's why I couldn't work. I couldn't even be no guard, nothing in the death row. Because what do you, what, how do you discipline them? What do you, you do? Mean, you yeah. I mean, look, it depends on, look, I did it myself. I, my rehabilitation was self-imposed. <laughs> I thought, look, I need to be a better person. But these guys have no filters. You know, like I said, when I got here, there was like seven stabbings in the last four months on death row I was there. 
attempted murders and a murder. So these guys are actively trying to kill each other. So there's, there is no, there's, what do you do, like you said, what do you do to a person who's already got a death sentence? Right. There's nothing you can do to them. And, and I think, like you said, I don't so, remember if I read it in your book or if it was on Death Row Diaries, but you said, like, you know, the other part of the prison, they have rehabilitation programs and music programs. Like, you guys don't have nothing on Death Row because they're like, that's the end of the line for you. So they pretty much have given up all hope. You don't get to really do nothing like that. So that's the other thing. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, ex- and that's one, of the, one of the reasons I came up with the concept of Death Row Diaries and Matt and I put it together was because I felt there was something I could do. And the reason for the show isn't to get my name out there and become some kind of freaking celebrity. It's got nothing to do with it. It has to do with giving the public to just you. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Giving the general public, you, a bit of information so you don't become victims. If you know how these killers these criminals think maybe just maybe it's going to prevent them from being able to make a victim out of you and that was my motivation behind death row diaries as well as hopefully at some point solving cold cases or at least bringing to light these cold cases like you guys do here at hark average you bring light to these cases and hopefully somebody will step forward and say hey maybe we can do something about this case or maybe somebody remembered something it jogs their memory mm-hmm. and something positive happens mm-hmm absolutely well and i want to go back to the whole kill count just out of curiosity who had the most on their card i just kind of want to know that well there's a number of guys in the 40s and 50s but the person with the the biggest kill count on san quentin's death row was rodney alcala he's the dating game killer they believe that he killed over 120 people they only got him for a few but I mean, they got him for about, I, I believe, I'm just off the top of my mind, I think it was 14. But every year, another a hit comes. In 2017 and 2019, a number of DNA kits were positive hits for him. Damn. So his Ooh. count continues to rise. Now, he was the dating game killer. He went on dating game. He won the show. But the, the eerie part about this and about this guy was so unique. And by the way, he is one of the killers that... I have the information on that no one else has. I'll give you that. You know, he's a well-known serial killer, Rodney Alcala. And the thing about this guy is that when he won the dating game, he was already a serial killer with over 15 kills. Wow. I'll repeat that. Wow. When he won the, the dating game, he was already a serial killer, and he had had over 15 kills. Here's another twist about this guy you'll love. When he left California on the run from trying murdering, almost murdering a child that was about nine years old that she, he picked up in 1968, took her to his apartment, and someone thought that something was wrong there, so he immediately called the police. By the time the police got to in a few minutes, he answered the door in a bathrobe, and he said he was taking a shower. He went back in and closed the door. Police thought that he was something was wrong. They broke the door down. They found a nine-year-old child, and she was on the floor with a weight around her neck, already blood everywhere. He had already raped her and nearly killed her, and he robbed the back door. When he was on the run for that, he went to New York, murdered a number of people there as well, a number mm-hmm. of women. Mm-hmm. But the thing was that's so interesting to me is that he was working in the mailroom of a company, and in that mailroom or in that office, the torso killer was working there as well. So what? Serial killer. <laughs> they get the same jobs. killers get the same jobs. They get the same jobs. That's wild. What the hell? You yeah. know. And apparently, they're hot. See, that's what happens, girl. When your parent, your dad's been telling you a long time, don't just be dating that old hot guy and out here living that crazy life. He may be a serial killer. That's some real, cause. And then, you know what, I go back to the 70s and 80s, that was really a, uh, it was really a dangerous time to live because now, of course, we have crimes and stuff now, but if you think about it, do you think that, you guys think it's harder to get away with the numbers now? Like, you don't see people 20s, 30s, 100s killing people. Like, usually you get caught after that first two. Well, it is the great interweb. Yeah. But before, and it used to be able to do the same thing when you had licensing. Yeah. Uh, to try and get a license, and that's how I, I learned this from truckers. 
if they'd had restrictions and had issues of getting a license in a state or even if a DUI, yeah. they'll just go to another state and get a license and then go and apply for trucker school. Mm-hmm. So because of the internet not interlinking the information, yeah. you know, a guy can kill like 20 girls and then just move three states over and he's a new man. Right. That's what Ted Bundy did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's wild. Oh, only it's a, a few counties over, or just a, a county police force in the 70s, 80s, and 90s made you share information because it was an ego trip. Now they have CODIS. So what's bust, what's making these serial killers not as successful is, of course, DNA. But this is where I completely disagree, and most experts disagree with me. But again, I'm going to say it here. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. The reason why serial killers are, there's less of them, or we think there's less of them, is because they're evolving. Mm. I know I just sent chills up your, up your spine. They're evolving. Like any other animal, they evolve. They, because of their environment, they're involved, evolving. Now, let me explain. We have the Idaho murder guy. Mm. Now, educated guy, knew what he's doing, knew what his problem was. Mm. He could not control his impulse. He went to the place 12 times, 11 times, or 12 times he killed. He had to be near the victim. He had, that's a person that can't control his impulse. The serial killer that I'm talking, which I believe is a superior serial killer, the ultimate serial killer, the one unique tick that he has that all the older ones don't mm-hmm. is that he can control the impulse. Mm-hmm. He's not going to make a mistake. How do these serial killers get caught? They get caught because they leave a body and the evidence and trace evidence on the body. This serial killer takes them. He has a kill room. He has a kill spot and he doesn't leave evidence. He exists. Believe me, he exists. If there's black, there's white. If there's good, there's evil. If there's an ultimate serial killer, there's also an ultimate hunter that can catch him. And guess what? Mm. You're talking to him. That's awesome. Oh, I thought you was going to say it was Batman. <laughs> but, all right. <laughs> he said Batman. That won't Bill is the closest thing to Batman that we have right now. Yeah. yeah. I think he might be better than Batman because Batman ain't never lived with the serial killer, so he wouldn't even know. Right? Right. I'd rather have Bill than Batman. Well, <laughs> well the Joker, hey, the, the Joker with, uh, you know, Heath Ledger, he was pretty creepy, so I don't know, man. He, he could have been a serial killer under that mask, right? <laughs> right, huh? <laughs> oh, man, that was amazing acting. Now, I have a question. This cause call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I have a question, because you know I have to get real messy, right? Oh, snaps us. <laughs> So, Buddha's my bestest friend, so I talk to him, like, all the time. But now you're my new friend, so I've kind of started talking to you, too, right? So, my question is, like, me and Buddha, we're completely different. Like, I, uh, for the death penalty, I'm kind of, like, uh, right in the middle, case-by-case basis. But now I'm kind of leaning away from it just because of a lot of the research that I've done and stuff like that. But Buddha is 100% for the death penalty. He feels like when people get convicted, they need to get executed within the first week. So, basically long story short we wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now if buddha would have had his way so after speaking to bill do you still feel like people need to get executed within one week of their sentence in buddha uh no offense bill but yes they should have strung you up and shot you down um i mean just it is just okay. what it is of what i believe is just of overly use of the system if you could be sitting and proved later on of being uh uh wrong for your case then, hey, I, I definitely, I'm definitely glad that that happens for people. But I, I, I'm not a person that's an advocate for these long jail times. I believe that it should be more probation time, get people out and being acclimated to actual society instead of raising criminal, criminals and hostile people. And simultaneously, and my argument is, is something that you said even earlier, Bill, is you're not that same guy. So if you did do the crime, I'm not, I'm not a, like completely aware of what happened. But if you did do the crime and was convicted of it and was believed that tough, I feel like you should have been fried, man. And that was a different bill than the bill that we have today. Now, if you talk about killing this, one of the reasons why I don't believe in the timeline and that period. Now, if you're talking about killing him, no, this is a whole completely different person. I wouldn't want to kill this man. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's something because it's funny because it's something that we kind of go back and forth to because because we was just talking about the other day because Buddha was like, so my tax dollars is going for death row, so where's the death at? And hey, I was like, I'm what? For death. <laughs> oh yeah, well, let me. Well, let me give you. Look, I'm a conservative, so 
automatically, I, you know, I'm one of those guys, like Buddha, that believes if a guy is guilty, and, and for me, it has to be the crime, the crime has to meet mm-hmm. the a punishment. Here's the problem I have with the death penalty, because I believe in the death penalty. See, I do believe it. Mm-hmm. Like for serial killers, guys who killed, who rape women, guys who uh, rape children or kill children, you take them out, the, out behind the barn and you smoke them. It's that simple. Now, here's where the problem is. Mm-hmm. The death penalty in California, which was a bridge initiative, Proposition 7, was built for the worst of the worst. Now, my argument... You have 60 seconds remaining. Some bitch, right? Like, the Buford Keat Justice just say, some bitch. I'll call back, okay? Okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, like, so you were saying, so the death penalty originated from the worst of the worst, right? Well, it was supposed to be for the worst of serial killers, child molesters, that. But the problem with that is when you give power to people, they screw things up. So, I was on death row, and I can tell you the majority of the guys there are not serial killers. Most of the guys there have killed somebody, but a lot of them were kids, 18, 19 year old kids who were gangbangers, shot somebody. So those aren't the worst of the worst. They still can be rehabilitated. The problem was that at one point when the political landscape became, it's an election year, all these kids would get the death penalty. Hispanic kids, black kids, white kids, who were just, what they all had in common was that they were, they were poor. They were poverty driven. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't defend themselves so they were easy pickings. So mm-hmm. the death penalty doesn't work for that reason because the worst mm-hmm. aren't getting it. I know a lot of guys are doing life and they got 17 murders or 18 murders. Mm-hmm. Why, why does a kid who's 18 years old, first offense, first felony conviction, one victim, 18 years old, he's given a death penalty, but a guy who's got 19 murders, prior murders, he gets life. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't equal, but that, is, well, that isn't the real reason I'm against it. Here's the real reason. It is because the taxpayer, watch this. Buddha wants a death penalty, and within one week, that would work. But because the death penalty, as soon as it's on the table, that means you get expert lawyers, you get expert witnesses, you get all these people do your trial. Let's say he still convicts you. From there, you go to death row. Now you have automatic appeal. You have automatic attorneys. You have automatic investigators. So the process, so instead of paying $100,000, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you're paying now for an inmate to be in prison, $100,000 a year. Think but about as that. soon as the death penalty's on the table, you're paying, you're paying 210000 It's double because now you've got to pay for his lawyers. His, and by the way, those lawyers are giving him money every month. So he can go to the store. He gets four packages a month. He gets visiting. And he's going to be there for 30, 40 years. Damn. So the death penalty doesn't work because it's only a politically motivated machine that just sucks suckers the taxpayer into believing we're going to be hard on crime, but they're not going to be hard on crime. Especially now, because like California, they've they're kind of doing away with the death penalty. Like people still have death row, but they're not going to get executed, right? Right. It's it's a smokescreen. They're giving you a death penalty, but you're not going to get executed. But you're paying double to keep that guy in prison. Do it with the paper that we have. He's never going to get out. As simple as that. Mm. Well, and that's what I was speaking of, like your case. Were you offered a plea deal at all on your case, or was it just immediate, just death row that they offered? Like, how did that work? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, they offered me a plea deal. I didn't take it. Mm. They offered me 15 years of life, and I didn't take it. Oh, yeah. That and that's the other thing I have with the death penalty because I feel like a lot of times that's a prime example. They scare people out of going to court and trying to like fight their case, especially innocent people, because they'll be like, "Okay, well the death penalty is on the table, but if you just plead guilty right now, we'll just give you life." Like that's the thing I don't like about it because you're scaring people out of fighting their case. What What do you guys think about that? I agree hundred percent. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Buddha. No, I agree 100 percent. And I feel like it is something that what he said is an iteration of the paperwork It's the look it's the, to have him uh, plea and say that they're going to be committing to a certain number of paperwork or to a certain level of a contract. So they know they have committed money mm. as to, they can have for us to be paying it as the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I'm saying I don't really believe it yeah, should never be a, a long term reform, especially and I agree 100 percent is. Justice should no longer be blind. Justice should have her eyes wide open and look at the cases specifically, and go accordingly. I mean, it's it's, it's not gonna. I'm, I'm not saying that you know the parent, the the, the government is our parents, mm-hmm. but as a parent, you know about penalizing right. the things that come along. 
it's not fair to be a parent that if you have a kid that knows uh, makes toast in the middle of the night to get something to eat because they're hungry, get the same penalty as a kid who just stole a car. You know what I'm saying? Right. And you beat them both with a belt until they both they, they both can't walk again. There's, you have to have levels of understanding, and you need to be able to see that and understand that circumstance and treat it accordingly. Because if you're talking about reforming people, then that's how you actually do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the problem is every time you give people that kind of power, they use it to, you know, human nature, come on. Human nature. You give a, a politician or a DA who's going to become a politician, and you give him the weapon, which is a death penalty, and he's going to use it wherever he wants to, whatever he wants to do to gain position mm-hmm. or gain or decline. And that is just, it's, it's just, you need an overseeing body. But the truth is, the death penalty doesn't work. We've had 13 executions on death row since 1967 at about $4 billion for the death penalty. So this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. There's been over 100 suicides on death row, more than, what, 15 hundred people sentenced to death since 1978. There's only 750 guys on death row. The rest of those guys either died, got a, a lesser sentence, committed suicide, were murdered on death row. Uh, so how is that working? Right. As a taxpayer, you tell me, $4 billion? Oh my God. Right. And and honestly, we, we can't, for me, I don't feel like, I feel like the appeals process, we need the appeals process because there's been a lot of innocent people put on death row. So we don't want to kill somebody that find out later that they was innocent. That would be, because that's happened before too, you know? So I don't know kind of what the right answer is for this. Less sentence in time to have it less extended. Yeah, no, me... It would be focused more on the people that have the death row. And as I said, kill them, kill them quickly. I don't, but if you kill someone... them quickly, there might be some innocent people that got killed. That's there's why they still do some it. innocent people that's getting killed. How's that not going to happen? Yeah, it just, it, there's no perfect system. But let me tell you about a case real quickly. There's a young man on prison, on death row. And while he was there, I'm not going to mention his name because he is a person who's out. They found that he was innocent. But because he was accused of killing a child, some of the men on death row gang raped him. Mm. And they gave him HIV. Oh. Mm. He got out of prison finally went to his son and wife's grave because the person that killed actually came forward and said it was laughing because I did it. I watched them have an argument. He left to go to Carl's Jr. I went in the house and killed the wife and the child. They got the guy who did it later. But meanwhile, this guy went to prison, was gang raped, got HIV, and is now out. He's living a life of, well, you, you tell me how would you feel if you got gang raped and you got AIDS when you were accused for something you didn't do? Gosh, that's a damn. horrible case. That's a horrible case. Yeah, that's a hor- That is a horrible case. And I know a lot of these cases, you can't even so, sue for wrongful conviction, right? And you know, get paid out. Some people can, some people can't. It depends on what they uh, make you sign when you get out. A lot of times they do that, though. Yeah. A lot of times they just say, "I'm sorry, yeah, just kick me- you out." But let me tell you guys something, because look, I'm speaking from experience. I spent all those years, decades on death row. One day on death row is equivalent to living in hell. The violence that happens there, you cannot pay a person enough money to make up for a crooked cop or a crooked DA or whoever it is that's trying to convict them, put them on death row, and then later on they're going to give them a dollar a day or a hundred bucks a day. A mm-hmm. hundred bucks a day doesn't cover what it went through and look and we know that there are crooked cops look i'm always for if law enforcement is doing things correctly you've got to give them their props it's a difficult job but there are guys that bend the rules one of them is mark Furman. Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 we all know who killed goldman and, and brown we know mm-hmm. but look because Furman tried to slam dunk the case now you can't trust the people who are collecting evidence. Of course, you have to acquit that person because if you can't trust the cops, who are you going to trust? So that right. happens to guys on death row. A cop wants the case solved mm-hmm. and he'll pin it on somebody. That is scary. That's really That's scary. Terrifying. Well, I was going to ask, what's, kind of, what's next for you, Bill? Because I know, like, for me, like, I've never seen someone, like, get off death row and now you have life with no parole and usually that's kind of the end of the line but do you have more appeals are you fighting to get out or how does that work now well absolutely i am 
part of the appeal process going through because some things that I got a full reversal on, they kind of half twitched me on it. So we're going back to court to adjudicate the problem. And yes, there's new things for me. I don't know exactly what this is going to be. We're hoping that in the next couple of months I'll be in court and mm-hmm. my case will be re-adjudicated and they'll find that I should be let out. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Look, uh, my life is not the best in the world, but I have a lot of positive things going on. Um, I can help the public. I can help society. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that with the book that's coming out in January. As you know, I'm also getting a YouTube channel coming out. It's going to be all William Nagara all the time with everything I've done from Death Row Diaries to YouTube's Unsolved No More. I have another podcast called Prisonology. I'm also working on a podcast here at Corcoran Prison with the um, – the, uh, the nod from the warden, we're, we're, we're presenting the case to her of having a corporate insider podcast where we look at other cases, just like I do on Death Row, just like Diaries, just like you guys do on Hot Garbage, and hopefully bring a little bit of uh, insight into the criminal perspective to help society uh, not be victims. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. That's so awesome. Well, I really honestly hope you luck, but you know, are you sure you want to get out? Because, I mean, you went in at 19, in 1983. What's I think Rick... Oh, no, but I was like, look, I was like, because you... But you, are, you went in at 1983. You know rent was like, what, $200 a month? And, you know, it's ghetto out here yeah, right now. He ain't <laughs> I got, like, this five jobs. <laughs> He'll be fine when he get out. You sure, you sure you're okay? Because I'm like, you're going to come out and look at this rent and this gas and be like, I think I want to go back in. <laughs> Um, no, I will. I will say that Bill, that I am an advocate for you to get out. Um, number one, because you got past the statue of which I was saying you went too far for us to have to kill you. You know, and that is I don't because I really just don't believe. <laughs> now you, and I just think it's true. You're just a, you are a different man. You are you served the time. That's double to me. I feel like that's double and triple penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like saying that you're a parent that's going to whoop a kid and then you wait five to ten years, you know, with extension cord. I'm going to whoop you and I got to wait these years. All that time in between, you're suffering, waiting. So I feel like it's, it's, it's overly dramatic to put that on somebody as well. Um, and I do see that he is not that whatever he, he served. He's definitely served time and beyond for whatever he's done. And I don't even know what he's done. Yeah. So I am an advocate for you. Well, well, like I, well I appreciate that. And like I said before, look, I'm extremely hard to kill. <laughs> so take that with a grain of salt, but uh, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing to help. I know my responsibility. If I got out tomorrow, I would keep doing the, the things that I'm doing now at a higher level. Uh, you know, I, I want to go to CrimeCon. I want to speak to the new experts that are doing it so I can teach them what it is that I know. I hope that the audience will also sign up for my newsletter. But go to artistwilliamnagara.com. Uh, sign up for my newsletter. You get insights of what I'm doing, my books that are coming out, the films that are coming out, the television series. And, and like I told Buddha, I told uh, Nisha, I'd be happy to come back in to give you guys the inside scoop when the book's just about to come out to give you more information about Through the Lens of a Monster. Uh, and I just hope that the audience loves it. I hope you guys love it. And I hope that by bringing a bit of finalization to the victims' families, that other people will pick up this mantle. You guys are doing a great job. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. And just keep doing what you're doing. I, I know people love this, and you guys are a great act. So, <laughs> all power to you. Thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you want to plug? I know you already plug. You plugged your um, books and everything. So, is that everything? You're because um, you got so much. Well, absolutely. Just. Like I said, please go to artistwilliamnagara.com, look at uh, Unsolved No More, Redemption from Death Row on YouTube, and we have a new episode that just came out Wednesday, and of course, Death Row Diaries, my podcast, which Nisha, you've been on, Mm. and look, you guys are great, thank you for having me on your show, and you know, be safe, be blessed, and it's been a pleasure to meet you as well, Buddha, you're a funny guy, man. (laughs) Thank you, man, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, and we're friends now, so I'll be messaging you. Oh, I appreciate that so much. And obviously, anybody can mention me through Getting Out apps. You can let them know that. And I appreciate you guys. Have a great weekend, and we'll be talking soon. You too. Later, Bill. Bye. Okay, take care. Oh my gosh, that's such a good interview. Can I just say right now, free Bill Noguera? Yes, put that on the t-shirt, man. I'll rock that one. Oh, let's make t-shirts. Yeah, because I want to see some what t-shirts. The... The free old Bill. Yeah. 
seriously, that was so good. Yeah. And I love hearing like the insights about like the death penalty and death row. And, and I also thought that Uma Thurman needed to be shot in the head at the beginning of that movie any damn way. Who tells them <laughs> that they ain't your kid and then just run off? Of right. course somebody gonna shoot you. Free Bill. Don't kill Bill. Right. Tell me about it. But, that, but what would you say, Anne? I'm sorry. No, I, just I was just about like, Bill. I was like, man, because we had some insight stories on like death row and stuff like that. And I just love that. Right. I, I will. I, I did. I, I feel like he was in the nitty gritty, like in the grime of it. Kind of like talking to a guy that just left Vietnam. Like you could still tell the edge on his ass. Yeah. Like you got a whole like, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to say I agree 100% with him calling people insects. But you know, like he's in, but I could just tell he's like in there. Like you got this guy like being against a person that's calling somebody Nazis. Like I still love Brad Pitt when he's talking about killing Nazis. Mm. But you know, but you know, he, he's hating them all on the inside of him right now. Because he's just in the thick of the war. You yeah. Know, like killing on them Japs. Like you'd be like, oh God, grandpa, calm down. But you know, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so they, he just still in that mindset. I feel like where he has that that he's in the war field. This is kind of like he di- differentiates himself from them. Yeah. So you know, I, I I see it. I just I feel like he's a little aggressive with it, with his with his mindset on it. But I do understand where he's coming from and the necessity of what he is doing. I still can't believe you sat here and told him that he should have been fried like 40 years ago. <laughs> my word. I'm not going to look at you and feel no way different if I like you or not, man. I'm one of those people. If I like you, I like you. If I don't, I don't. I'm going to look in your face. I'm going to let you know. Did you say fried like barbecue chicken? Like barbecue chicken, he should have been fried. Like quickly, that weekend. I don't, I don't even know what you did, but you should have been fried. Something's oh, <laughs> wrong with you. But you can't be talking to her about past. our friends like that. I'm, but but he made it past the years now he's he's at an age where you made it past my exemption where i'm like he's a different person now he's he's exempt don't kill him now that's not the same guy yeah but i mean when he was 18 19 maybe even all the way to 22 23 i'd have been that person he'd have hate i'd be like barbecue chicken boy oh, I'd, have look, I'd have been looking like Shaq. he'd be like is he making some sauce i'd have been looking at him smacking my lips be like, boy, I'm out to rotisserie your butt like my name is Paula D. He'd <laughs> 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 hated me. He'd be like, sir, get that, get him away from that inmate. I'd have been the officer getting fired, always just talking to people on death row. Talking about how you, know, you need to be fried. Like, yeah, yeah. you. Yeah, you this can't. This weekend. Yeah, you can't work in the death row. Because <laughs> that would be you. That would be you. You'd be like, fried. Fried chicken. You know what my favorite food is? <laughs> <laughs> Kiki, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Put some salt on that jazz, so boy. What, do you want it? So you would talk to death row inmates like that? Do you know like how scary they are? Like you would be scared. I would be ready because you gonna die anyway. I'd be ready. To, like bring it on, bro. I'm gonna open this cell. <laughs> what? And I already am armed. I'm the officer. I'm gonna say you attack me, motherfucker. You already gonna die. <laughs> So let's go toes, Playboy. Like when, we, <laughs> when I and I, when I don't fight fair, because I will not. When I pepper spray you, tase your ass, and then beat you with this billy club like some Rodney King <laughs> shit. Don't you should have thought about that before you stepped out to say I'm challenging the officer. Damn. Yeah, you know I thought about it because there are death row inmates in there, so it's like, but you still have like a gun and you have all kinds of right. Stuff, I'm so still you- an officer of the law. Goddamn it! Think about that. Damn. I'm not gonna not be that, and I'm not gonna not come in this fight with those weapons that I was given for being designated from the state. They said I could. <laughs> So you gonna go in there and antagonize the death row inmates just to start a fight with them? I didn't say I start antagonizing just to start a fight. What I'm saying is they should know that I believe your ass should be dead. But you're gonna call on Kiki's fried chicken and say they should be fried. That's antagonizing people. <laughs> if they look at me funny, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you start talking smack, I'm gonna talk smack. Other than that, I'd be a good enough officer. But you know inside, I'd believe it. So don't ask me. Don't be like, oh, so don't you think it's unfair? No, sir. I think it's unfair that you're still here. <laughs> and I still got to watch you. I think you should have been fried. <laughs> That's what I think is unfair. Why is it taking you 10? We've been here for 10, 20 years now. <laughs> my son done grew up with you in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying is unfair. It's unfair that I still got to watch your ass. You're supposed to be dead. This is death row. Why are you still here? And what did he be like? Well, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a job right now. But I'd still be a, a guard. I'd still be working as a prison. Somebody need to be in jail. Just your ass should be dead. That's ah! <laughs> what I'm saying. There's not even nobody on death row records anymore. <laughs> and two black all of them is gone. So that's what I'm like. 
like, so why your ass still here? That, that rough, that's not even a thing no more. Right? That's what I'm saying. The record label went down because they it was that was the beginning of the end when you named it Death Row. Y'all was all on a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> you can't keep doing this. <laughs> oh. You can't be Death Row and this be a hundred years strong. Nope, they'd be like, okay, y'all need to change yourself to life forever. <laughs> Death Row means you're dead soon. We wanted to see that come and we want to see it end. Is all I'm saying. Yo, so you should have got to that. <laughs> Get to the end. Get to the end. <laughs> that's, oh, what makes you, that's what nah. makes you real. That's what makes you real about being death row. That's why Bone Thugs and Harmony nobody buy the album no more. Y'all said you was gonna kill yourself. You disappointed your fans. <laughs> you disappointed me. Why you didn't kill yourself? The crossroads. You made the, yeah, you made the deal with the devil. Now kill yourself. <laughs> you chump. You done chumped out. As a fan, I was like, I'm not buying your stuff no more because you ain't real. <laughs> I no longer supported you for not killing yourself. After y'all came up with the next album, I was like, what? You non-committal ass bastards! I don't believe none of your stuff no more. <laughs> so let's talk about how happy you would be when you're bringing the death row and make their last meal because it's there. Like, what were you? Like attitude? I said, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't. I'm like, I'm not. Don't get it twisted. I'm not like looking forward to their death. I'm saying that this should be realistic. You should know, and I should know that, bro. When you get on death row, that's the end, bro. Like, you got a, a little bit of time for appeal. You got like five years, and then you're out of here. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's for real. Now, the only thing I will say I agree and he's opened my eyes to has been catered to a lot of people of low income. Mm -hmm. So now that makes me not so much of an advocate of being like, okay, it should be pressed on that. Like, I will say, no, I don't like that at all. Like, if you can't defend yourself. Well, it's that's the like thing got... because, yeah, low income is typically they get public defenders yeah. who tries to, like I said, scare. If they don't, if they go to court, and they do such a bad job, but they'll try to scare them out of it. So now they got like life with no parole. Like, oh, if you let go to court, you, you're going to get death. Let me tell you, I got a DUI and uh-huh. I got a public defender and he was a black man. I thought he was going to help me out. He didn't give two craps. Don't give a shit, so right? So I do understand. So that's why I'm like, so if yeah. you person get put into that scenario... Where I was like, damn, this is my first event, and this man like even forgot who I was and my name. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, I feel like I'm gonna get put away, uh, uh, wrongfully done, unless I do something to take care of myself. Yeah, because this man doesn't give two craps about what happens to me. Mm-hmm. And so that does happen to people, and with that being on somebody's life, yeah, that's terrifying. Well, now because that's something that I'm like, no, no, that's that fair. Yeah, because he was talking about now that I'm thinking about what rich person do you see even rich people that's gone to jail who's on death row that's rich now that I'm thinking about it think, yeah, I haven't saying? even thought I can't think of one rich person on death row I mean and Charles row. Manson took a while to even get on death row and he was killing them by the masses and he was shooting at the cops and, and telling people to do that coming in the building Mm-mm. you know what I mean like so you're not getting treated equally yeah you're not getting treated equally if you ain't got the money to sit here and do that that's why I said that justice should not be blind yeah justice <laughs> needs to take them, God, them, them, them damn gone rags off her freaking face and look me in the eye well, and I didn't, especially if you want to be the person that's going to sentence me, you need to look me and know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't even, like, think about that. Like, it's mostly low income and middle class people. Yeah. Now, that, that's, that's the part that I'm against. That's why I'm like, I'm not happy about it mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like a lot of people get did because of the fact that they're not able to properly defend themselves. Yeah. And now you're talking about the system that's basically a giant buff-ass man that's the size of Mike Tyson punching babies in the face. Yeah. Because that's all you're doing when you're doing this system that people don't, you come in here. If you think about it, I've been to court. When I went to, like, as I say, I'm going to beat that dead UI thing, but it was one of the biggest things that happened to me, and I was in there terrified. Mm-hmm. You go in there, and they might as well be speaking Japanese. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about not the new, I'm not talking about the Japanese that you see on a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the ancient shit that's in scriptures and shit where even the Japanese people look at that shit and be like, yo, kiddo. Yeah. Like, so I'm talking, so they get in there and they start saying some shit and you like who what did they are they talking about me when they talk about this stuff now yeah they talk about section p35 477 i was like i didn't even know numbers was part of english language. right like what so like yeah, what yeah. So, and they use it so fluently and do so much yeah. shit that you damn near don't even know what you're talking about yeah anymore. and nobody breaks it down to you. that's the thing nobody is gonna nobody explain, explain it to you there's no yeah. translator yeah there's a all. chick over there with making hand signs like a yeah. motherfucker but nobody's telling you nothing yeah. nobody's making until you understand right shit. and the stenographer just type it away like so you understand this shit like because even your public defender is not gonna explain it to you right even them so that's what I'm saying is you sit there and you feel like everybody speaks a language and because everybody's nodding their head and going along with it, but you, yeah. and you're the one that's going to have the most severity. You're going to one that has the most impact out of what happens in this room. Mm-hmm. So it gives you this very terrifying, singular way fig- feeling that this is uh, going to go a certain way no matter what you do because you can't do anything. Right. 
It's almost like you have to like actually study this and who studied it beforehand. You know what I mean? You can't even study it. You would and have so to go depth, to school. You can't, you can't study it. Yeah, yeah you, you have to literally go to school. There. Right. So, so no. So that's why I'm like, no, I'm not gonna say that it brings me joy and I'm not looking mm-hmm. for that happiness of going in there making sure you're dead. Yeah. I'm saying of the ones that I know that you truly should be convicted for. You're talking about these serial killers, these people yeah. that hold the pride in it and everything. You should know that, hey, then this is the end line too, that you're gonna be dead. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, most of them I feel they know that. It's, it's as Richard Ramirez to say. Remember when we went over Richard Ramirez's case? He said, "Who cares? Death always came with the territory." Remember that's what he had yes, said. Yes, you so know what I'm saying. So they knew. accepted it. So now you're making the mockery. You're making them even look at the system as a joke. Like he, like the guy we just talked to said, he was talking about to the guy. He actually confessed on his damn own mm-hmm. after man was getting raped in, in the jail and all that for him from his own wife. Yeah, you know who he didn't kill. Mm-hmm. So th- you have the criminals now laughing at the system. Yeah, and how inefficient it is. Yeah, and then he. Knows Knows he's gonna go to jail and not die. Yeah. You guys are gonna guarantee he gets meals every dog on time. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Three times a week, and he's getting apparently if he has a lawyer care packages. Yeah. Like, now, how many of these low income people? I I don't know. I, I, girl, I, some of the stuff I ain't even heard of care packages. So I'm like, how many people that you know go to jail that you could? I know you dated some convict guys. You like that type? Yeah. How many of them guys had care packages guaranteed every week? Nobody. Like you have to be their care package. Like you know. Yeah. What I mean? You had to shell out your own dang own pocket. Right. So this so is what I'm saying. Tell- so you telling me that they guaranteed good living in life for killing somebody yeah that's wild they that guarantee is... better food and a better place to go because they're killing somebody like because i and, and meanwhile like and that's why i said it's, it's so ghetto out here like it's almost like they almost have a better life like we because i had said i was like damn when my daughter turned and say teacher i do something to go to jail i kill somebody but damn it's something so you <laughs> and, make sure you get some free food yeah and i have to worry about shit not damn that's wild, but it shouldn't be like that. It's like you said, the system is broken. Right. The system is freaking broken. And people becoming celebrities from killing people. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, when I went to that museum, the Museum of Death, by the way, everybody should go to the Museum of Death. That's in New Orleans, but they freaking have like everybody's like memorabilia up there. You know what I mean? And it's like, they are treated like celebrities. Like, you know what I mean? You can, t- you can have letters like from Jeffrey Dahmer that's behind the glass. We can't touch anything. They got Eileen Warner's bra and panties sitting up there that she wore on death row. Like, that's the kind of, that's where we're at right now as a society. Yeah. Like, and I, I must be sick and twisted because I went there and paid my money and went to look at all and this shit. And went and shit. checked it out. Got this, to. Is, this is how we are. There's a guy that's habitually known for having foul ass funk and fuck breath. That's what every one of his victims said. His breath stank so hard. Oh, Richard Ramirez. Yeah. yeah. But then his ass get on death row and he is he, every woman want to marry him yeah exactly oh and that's a, and he got his teeth fixed like but the whole I, to ass... the point that's what i was going with to the point where he was like i got some kind he had so many chicks on his line he was like let me go fix myself <laughs> that's why why you think they say that women get in free at the club because men will flipping themselves up if they see the females is there right so he got enough females on his line that he was like let me fix my shit let me brush my teeth right you know what I'm saying let me go visit the dentist when what he starts doing sit-ups and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, he started getting in shape and all that. What getting the... his hair done. That's wild. Uh, uh, like, he upgraded his life. Yeah. By killing people. But me, but if he was a guy, a normal guy with rotted teeth, didn't kill anybody walking around, he still wouldn't have dental coverage. He would have been crap. So he wouldn't even he been up. He would have been jack crap. Yeah. He wouldn't have been able to go to the dentist. Everybody would make fun of him. Couldn't get a girlfriend. So, like. Well, the funny thing is, is what he probably says, at the end of the day, Killing people is the best thing that ever he, he ever did. Damn, that's wild. That's the best thing that happened in his life. Us as a society, we are sick. Think about that. That's the best thing that happened in this man's life is killing people. Oh, my gosh. And the, well, getting penalized for killing the people yeah. is the best thing that's happened in his life. Mm-mm. Ain't that the trip? Gosh, that really gives you some shit to think about. That's wild, isn't it? Girl, so we're hot garbage from wherever. Go ahead and tell the stuff. Oh, that's right. Do you know what we're talking about next week? No, no. What's up? Next week, remember I told you we're going to start doing some little New Orleans cases? So I, I have one. Well, you said you're going to start bringing them in there, but you don't be telling me the dates. Oh, yeah. You're swearing that you tell me and you send me these messages, but you do not. Yeah, so next week we're going to talk about Zach and Eddie, Addie, which is a really big case in New Orleans. And actually, in New Orleans, when I was there, it was such a vibe that I actually started researching the case while I was there. Mm-hmm. Because I talked to like some tour guides and stuff that kind of like knew of them and had met them before. So it's a big thing. I have actual you know, documents from other 
other people, you know, of the accounts and stuff like that. So this is going to be really big, and I'm you excited. You went out there and met Mama Odie, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Mama Odie. Yeah. <laughs> and a fly and a firefly with a big old butt. That's yeah. And had a time felt like he was a princess for real. Well, so next week join us so that we could talk about Zach and Eddie. That that case is wild. You're not even going to be able to believe it. And I went to their actual old apartment. So I have pictures. I'll post that on my Instagram after. Yes, you are a weird, weird, scary, I scary soul. I saw. Make sure the next time you go to some of these places, you at least have some sage or something. Yeah. To, to, to burn some incense over your body. Because, girl, you're going to get the spirit of one of these murderers on you. Oh, my gosh. And don't bring that over to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Was I see if I see you get too aggressive on a burger one day, I'm gonna be like, and this is the end. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not about to go down there with you. (laughs) Well, so until next week, follow us on Instagram, hot garbage. Send us a Gmail, hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Facebook, you know, Hot Garbage True Crime Edition. And please make sure you leave us a rating and review. Five stars preferably, but you can do it on any pl- platform that you're listening we to us on. We got a four star one time and we coming to look for you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it, right? And um, TikTok, author Nisha. Oh, and other things. I don't know if you noticed, but from last week uh, week's episode, Griselda Blanco, I put the link to my book in there, Functional But In Love With The Cocaine, because since we were talking about cocaine, you may as well check out my book. My book has absolutely nothing to do with the case, but it's about it cocaine. Does it does not. Because right. I, I have to promote what my book. We on? talked about cocaine. I wrote about cocaine. Even though it has nothing to do with the case, you guys can support us. <laughs> Name something for a fan. Name one of the fans right now, you going in here for yourself person <laughs> you know what what was the fan's name that gave us the the uh review the last time what was her name oh um jokes are jokes you, uh, jokes 90 are you talking about jokes that? 90s shout out to you yeah <laughs> and the other and promote one. her stuff too and she has a book that was written by her grandmother <laughs> and the other thing is i don't know if you noticed but buddha i put my cash app in there too so if people want to, until we get our Patreon, so what, start giving you money. Yeah, look, I knew you were it, money. It, look, if people want to support it to, before we get our Patreon, we do like to drink on the Saturdays that we record. So we if do. you want to send us anything, or if you want to send us some lunch or anything like uh, that, if you want to send receipts so that Buddha could know how much money y'all be giving her, and she be <laughs> skimming off the top. Any little bit helps. So feel free to donate to the show because we be sitting in here. Yeah. yeah, and we did do it. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> but anyways, until next time, take care. Watch your back out there.